Hey, what's up, guys? It's Michael from the Honest Youth Pastor back again with another sermon review. Today, we are going to be looking at a sermon from someone named Dave Tuck. He is the college and production manager at River Park Bible Church in Fresno, California. And uh, we're going to be looking at his sermon today because I think it's a good example of what a sermon, uh, the aspects of the sermon should have that we are going to be looking for just to put cards on the table right away. Uh, if you're looking for uh, the opposite of that, you can check out last week's sermon review. That link will be in the description below, as well as the full link to Dave's sermon will be in the uh, description below as well. Those will be aptly titled so you can find the correct one. Uh, if you're new here, you might be asking what are sermon reviews and why are you doing them? Well, let me kind of break this down briefly really quick for you. We live in a day and age in which you can get sermons from literally anywhere and you can get anyone's sermons. The internet has opened up obviously just a Pandora's box of sermons you can get from any church anywhere all around the world. And with 2020 and lots of people staying home uh, and churches maybe closing their doors, some of them, you, you have people looking for sermons all over the internet. Uh, and that is good and bad in the sense that some of the sermons preached are not great sermons. They're not done well. They're not Jesus-centric. They don't even exegete, look at the text, draw out that context very well and preach it in a, in a way that's applicable to the modern-day Christian. Others do a great job of that. And the reason we do these sermon reviews is to look at a variety of different people from all over the place and say, is this a good sermon? Is it not a good sermon? Uh, I always like to say that this is a teaching and educational type of thing. I want to give you tools in order to look at any sermon you come across and say, is this good or is this bad? Is this worth listening to or not? This is not about holding certain pastors up as great and you know, you know, bashing other ones. It's looking at sermons on an individual basis saying, is this a good sermon and can I learn from it? So with that in mind, we are going to look at uh, Dave's sermon today. This was given on 8-8-21. So this is the most recent sermon uh, as of this recording um, of River Park Bible Church. Uh, so let's dive into it. Well, I am very blessed to be here this morning. Uh, my heart is... Oh, one thing before we get started. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mention this video. If you go to watch it in the links in the description below, I'm actually starting the sermon at 27 minutes and 32 seconds. This is where the actual sermon starts. Everything before this has been worship and announcement. So I think that's important to know. So I'm sorry. With that said, let's get into it now. Overwhelmed, really, really overwhelmed to be here this morning. Uh, as we are wrapping up this sermon series that we've been through this whole summer long, um, Redeeming the Rock, the life of Peter. And as we're, we're doing that, I, I want to put a context on that as we're about to dive into the Word. And I, the biggest picture possible of the redemption of the life of Peter, that's what I want to do today. Uh, I was talking with Christy and I was talking with some of the staff this morning. I feel a dissonance, I feel a little bit of a tension between two desires this morning. Okay, and this is just by way of introduction so that you understand my mind is in two places. I, I want to wrap up a series very well. I want to get to a place where we say, look at the redemption in the life of Peter. And we also are going to be looking at a specific passage which requires us to say, what does God say here now? Uh, so those two things, I don't think they're competing with one another, but they're two goals that I have this morning, is that I want to, to finish off well and to say, look at the life of Peter, what God did in his life and how we can celebrate that and expect it because of his character, and then also to look at this particular passage. So we'll, we'll start first. All right, so he's going to get into it, but I want to kind of go into this a bit. Now, this, this whole sermon review thing is us walking into a church and sitting down. 
and kind of addressing the sermon as we come to it. So this is obviously the last sermon in a sermon series that this church has done. So we're walking in, and I think Dave recognizes that, and therefore he's trying to sum it up, trying to give us a brief idea of what they've talked about. Here in a minute, he's actually going to do that a little bit more so that for those of us that are walking in that may have missed everything before this, so that we're not kind of in the dark and lost, he's going to catch us up. That's an important thing to do, I think, during an introduction, especially within a sermon series, um, that if you've been preaching through maybe a book or you've been preaching through a series uh, on a particular topic such as Peter, then you catch people up in case they weren't there. There's always this assumption that, of course, there are going to be a handful of people that maybe haven't been there. And as pastors, we need to kind of keep that in mind. We don't want to leave people completely in the dark that haven't had the opportunity or maybe just are visiting churches and are coming into our church that we don't want to leave them in the dark you know, to where we're at in Scripture and what we've been doing. So he does a really good job of not only telling us kind of what they've been going through, but also the tension that he has in the introduction of you know covering a passage, but also wrapping everything up really nice and neat. Um, introductions are really interesting things. And He's doing a good job here, but I do want to mention it just in case this is your first sermon review that we've done uh, or that you're watching. There are lots of ways to intro into a sermon. Storytelling, recaps, such as what he's doing, uh, diving right into scripture. These are all ways that you can intro into it. None of these are necessarily bad. You just have to kind of fill it out as far as, you know, what's, what your particular church is doing, right? So if you're a guest preacher, obviously you're going to introduce yourself. You might tell a little story to introduce it. Uh, if you are, uh, you know, in a more traditional church most of the time, as far as like liturgical churches, high church sort of thing, you usually go right into the text and then into the passage. Or like Dave's doing here, you're going to catch us up so that we are familiar with what's going on. All of these things, you just want to make sure that there is a flow of thought. And what I mean by that is sometimes you're going to a church, the pastor will get up, tell a joke, and then just like there's this abrupt turn and turn right into the like the text or the message, and it just feels a little clunky. As pastors, and this is specifically the pastors, we need to build sermons in such a way that is easy to listen to. And I think Dave is doing that here. This is this is great. But I just want to bring that into our attention that oftentimes I think it's something that we forget to do. Uh, and it can make us better pastors and speakers uh, when we realize that like this needs to flow really, really well. The reason I bring that up, because I've watched Dave, I've watched this sermon twice so far, and this is something that he does well and I think other people can learn from. So just keep an eye uh, out for that as we continue. With revisiting that definition of redemption that Pastor John gave us at the beginning of this series. So the definition of redemption is the act where one greater pays the price for our deliverance from slavery to live a greater life transformed by freedom. And again, we begin by looking at that and saying, look, at the beginning of that, we who are a part of that definition are in abject slavery. We're in slavery. And so then the first act of redemption, that first discreet act of redemption is salvation, that God redeems a person by the blood of Christ. And then there is an ongoing act of redemption, which is sanctification. God continues to redeem us. God continues to use us. And so there's this ongoing act of redemption. And this morning specifically, we're going to be looking at that last part of it. There's a trajectory. There's an aim to all of that. There's an aim to what God does in our life as a result of that. All right? And that trajectory is toward a real, full, zoe life. All right? Let's pray, and then we're going to, we're going to dive into what that looks like. 
Okay, so what he's done is, I just want you to kind of see that this is a really nice packed up version, especially if you're doing a sermon series or preaching through a book. A few minutes of saying, we talked about redemption, we talked about sanctification, now we're going to talk about trajectory. So he's, he's just laying this out. And I know this seems like a simple thing to, like, it's sort of like a duh thing, but oftentimes, I've heard lots of sermons, pastors don't lay out uh, either what has been talked about or where they're going. So it's very difficult as a congregant, as somebody that's sitting there listening, to figure out where we're going. Like, what's the roadmap? Now, not everybody needs that. Not everybody has a brain that operates in such a way that says, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? But we have to keep in mind that there are going to be people in the congregation that do have that mindset, that, that kind of need to know where you're going with this. So what he does is a really quick summation of what they've talked about, redemption, sanctification, trajectory. He's going to pray, and then he'll get into it. Father God, this morning we need you. We need your spirit to change us from the inside. We need you to redeem our failures. We need you to redeem our sin. We need you to redeem our efforts, which are small and childlike and ineffectual apart from you. We need your strength. And Father, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning, what it is that your word speaks and that we would be overwhelmed by it as it gives us a greater picture and understanding of who you are. And that because of who you are and because of who we are in comparison, that we would desire to live for you fully more and more every day. Not seeking a new salvation, Father, not looking for a new way of redemption, but finding in you satisfaction, looking to you for our strength, and then calling others to do the same. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If we're going to look at a big picture of redemption in the life of Peter, then let's take a, just a minute, and we're going to look at a timeline. And I'm going to do something a little bit audacious, all right? I'm going to pretend like I know what year this happened. And I, I don't really know, so I'm not going to be dogmatic about the dates. But we're going to pretend, we're at least going to say for the sake of argument, that, um, that the cross, that Jesus' trial and crucifixion and resurrection take place in what we call the year 30 A.D., Okay, so before it gets too deep into this, I want you to really pay attention to this, especially if you are a pastor or uh, so anyone that speaks in front of church in regards to, um, you know, pastor, youth pastor, the, the associate pastor, whatever, somebody training to be a pastor. This is a great example. Uh, there are there are times where introductions and sort of context up to a scripture can be done kind of clunky, not so well. Um, what we're going to see here is Dave does this really well, where he lays out, and this is what I want you to, I'm sort of a spoiler alert, really, but I want you to listen for the details that he gives uh, for uh, verses that he gives as sort of time markers for what he's saying, as well as laying out a really clear picture of, 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 of Peter in all of these instances, as well as how long uh, this, this, this time frame that he's talking about is. It's done in such a way that it, it's short, but it's, it, it's, it's, very packed full of information so that we as the congregation can really buy into and get a, a better understanding of what the depth of that we're looking at in really a short amount of time, uh, given as far as the length of the sermon, that it really catches us up. And we're really in it a lot more than we would have normally been if we would have just jumped right into the text, right? So I've said before, I'm a proponent for jumping right into the text because I think that's, I think that's very helpful, or at least giving a little summation before you jump into the text. But I, Dave here might have changed my mind because Dave does such a good job of building us up, and you're going to see this here in a minute, uh, in helping us understand 
the, the length of time that we're looking at here um, that I think is incredibly helpful for when we actually do get into the text because now we have a much better time reference of what we're looking at and why the text we're looking at is so important in the way that we're looking at it. So just listen for that. This is going to play for a little bit because he does. it takes a minute for him to get through it all, but I think it's incredibly important and helpful when it's done in this manner. So take notes. I think this is, um, I think we could, a lot of people could learn from this particular tactic. All of that takes place in April, early April. Easter of that year would have been on April 7th. If it was 30 AD, that is the day that our Lord raised from the dead. And Peter knew about it. And, and then not long later, uh, he would have been, been present, right? He would have been present when then Jesus commissioned the disciples. He, he would have been uh, at the Sea of Galilee sometime before May 18th, because that's the day, if it was 30 AD, that Jesus left from their presence and ascended into heaven. And then it would have been late May that they would have been gathered together in the day we call Pentecost, uh, 50 days after uh, after that Passover meal that they shared. And he would have been there in roughly 35 AD, the things that we looked at last week, Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles were given the Holy Spirit. Peter was there. He was around and heard tell of the growth of the church at Antioch, which in about 37 AD would have been where people were first called Christians, little Christs. And then it would have been another 30 years or so before Peter wrote his letters, first and second Peter is what we call them, and then maybe a year or two later, and it had to be by a certain date that he was martyred under Nero, under the persecutions under Nero, because we know that it had to have happened by a certain date because Nero committed suicide in 68 AD, and, and Peter was, was dead by then. So four decades since the cross... And Peter is involved in all of it. Peter is there. He's got a shepherd's heart. He's a minister. He's a witness. And all of that, all that timeline uh, has been God using him, growing him, changing him, shaping him, employing him for his glory. He was there for the first days of the way, the tiny Jewish sect where the Galilean was their savior. He was there in Acts 10 when the, when the Spirit fell on Gentiles. He witnessed and ministered all over Asia Minor. And then his heart was pierced, and this is important, when the fledgling community of believers was assailed and attacked by false teachers whose main effort was to undermine the supremacy, the exclusivity, the divinity, and the return of Jesus. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to take the church, which relied on Christ, and say, your pillar is not what you think. And so Peter wrote these letters in response to that. So we get First and Second Peter, we get these letters, and they're pretty close in succession because he was so cut to the quick. I've got, I've got to come behind this church and help this church, this body of believers, because they're falling for it. They're falling for these attacks. And so here, I'm going to give you just the kind of the beginnings of the first few chapters. 
Okay, so I want to stop that before he gets into the the chapters. So did you see what I'm saying? So it was it was pretty short in regards to summation, but it gives us a sense of where Peter was all the way up through through Acts, through the New Testament, to where we get to First and Second Peter. We not only understand why he's writing First and Second Peter, but we have a real a real sense of Peter's life very well summed up, showing that yeah, you know this, this we're talking about decades that this is that have passed since Jesus. Uh, lived, died, and rose and ascended, right? So I think oftentimes, and the reason I, I really think that that point is important is oftentimes, and I'll talk to a lot of uh, newer believers or people that have been believers for, for a few years that don't realize that we're looking, when you look at Acts, there's you can maybe go through three, four chapters, and in those three, four chapters, you've covered five, 10, 15 years, and a lot has happened, but in those chapters, you've only went through a couple chapters. And I think sometimes our sense of time gets really, uh, really messed up when we're reading through the Bible, because we assume that these things are happening really, really quickly when there's actually years and years that have gone by. So sometimes we read the scripture and we go, well, how could those communities of believers have fallen away from the gospel so quickly? Jesus just ascended, like the church is taking off. How could they have fallen away? But when we understand a timeline such as uh, Dave has laid out here, we have a much better sense of, oh, this has been a minute. So if you think back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, like from today, you can think about just how the, how the message has changed, how the church has shifted, how there's lots of things that uh, have foundationally changed um, and, and what the effect that that's had. And, and what the effect this has had on the church and on culture and preaching. And you, you have a little bit of a sense of, oh, okay, well, yeah, a lot can happen in this time. So when we look at what Dave's saying here, when, we, when we're looking at the life of Peter and how many decades have passed since the, since the ascension of Jesus, then we'll see that, oh, well, this, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, we can see how false teachers and false doctrine and things like that have come in. And then Dave does this really cool shift to where he, he's going over like a broad sense of what Peter's life. So we have a general idea of where we're going up to here. Even if we haven't been to any of the services, we're just walking into River Park Bible Church today. We, we are, we're caught up, right? Then what he's about to do is then go through a summation of, of uh, Second Peter up to chapter three, where he's where our text is going to be for today. So not only is he given us a really good summation of Peter's life and how many years have passed and why he's writing these book or these letters to these churches, but now when we go into Second Peter, he's going to give us a little bit of a summation up to chapter three, so that we have uh, kind of Peter's heart and why he's writing these letters to these churches. Uh, by the time we get to chapter three, we'll understand chapters one and two and kind of the, the thrust behind them and how we got to chapter three, which is also important. Oftentimes, um, oftentimes we'll just cover the the chapters leading up to the chapter we're preaching out of. I hear that a lot. I do that quite often. I'll just cover the kind of the chapters leading up to the one that I'm talking about in most cases. But um, what Dave's done here is great because, I mean, we, we have the whole life of Peter. We have him writing these letters, and he's about to give us the summation of the first two chapters so that when he gets to chapter three, right, when we finally get to the verses, there's a big payoff because now we understand why Peter's writing this, why he's saying the things that he is, what he's been through, the growth that's occurred in his life. And it's much more impactful because we, we understand the person behind the words that are being written and why he's writing them. So let's, let's have Dave. Dave's going to walk through this really quick. And give a summation of chapter one, two, and three, 
Uh, and I, I take note, I won't mention what he does that I think is really helpful here, but kind of listen and see what he does. And then I'll stop and talk about what I think is incredibly helpful by, about the way that he does this. So let's listen. Chapters of Second Peter, and then we're going to get into our passage. Last week we had a long intro. This one's long. It's not as long as last week. Okay, you can do this. We can do this together. All right. Peter's heart in writing his second letter was to remind believers to reject false teachers and their heresies and to remember the, the value of Scripture. So we look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 through 14. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you, uh, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He said, I'm going to remind you of the things that I taught you before, that you know from other witnesses, that you know from the apostolic authority, that many of you know because you walked with Christ. All of this, I'm going to remind you of that because when I die, which will be soon, you've got to be established in it. And he knew that false teachers had come and would come. And so he was telling the church, look out for them. Look out for their false teaching. 2 Peter chapter 2 begins this way. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. He says, look out. There's going to be false teachers. They're coming. And Peter wants believers to remember that no matter what these false teachers claim, no matter what they uh, uh, try and make look reasonable, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. Second Peter chapter three, the beginning of this chapter that we're going to be in today. This is how the second. Uh, sorry, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, "Where is the promise of His coming?" For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. He says, scoffers will come and they will be scoffing. And what will they be scoffing? The assurance of the return of Christ. So this is the letter to assure the church. Church, this is us. Christ is coming back. He's coming back. And, well, <laughs> this should... Okay, so I want to stop before he gets too much into it here. So did you see what he did? Now, did you pick up like what he was doing? Oftentimes, what will happen, and I've caught myself doing this, is that I will summarize the chapters really quick, uh, whichever, you know, one, two, three, how many ever I'm in deep into the book, with basically a summation of that chapter or bullet points. What Dave does here, I think, is, is unique but good. Uh, I don't know if I've seen it other places. Maybe a lot of people do this, and I've just missed them. But he uses the actual text within the scripture in order to draw out what, in this particular case, Peter is saying in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Even though he's going to be in chapter 3, he still does the summation of chapter 3 based upon what he, the text that he uses there. So instead of saying, here, here are the bullet points for 1, 2, and 3, 
Uh, he says, here is what Peter says himself in this book as he's walking through it and uses the scripture to summarize the chapter itself, which I think is really helpful. Uh, it, it not only does it, well, not only, it, one of the main things it does this here, it anchors us again. Like the whole thing is anchored in scripture. So this isn't, you know, Dave saying, here's what I think happened in chapters one, two, and three. He could have easily done that. And I'm sure he probably would have been correct in doing so. Uh, but he anchors it in scripture nonetheless, saying, here's what Peter says in chapter one. Here's what Peter says in chapter two. Here's what Peter says in chapter three. All of it is continually anchored in scripture. So now everything that is being pointed back is being pointed back to scripture. He did this in the larger summary too, showing like the bullet points. He said, this happened in Acts, this happened here. Um, and giving a good summation to where as, us as congregants that are listening are able to know where he's at and we can ourselves go back and check ourselves with our own Bibles what is being said. Not, you know, Pastor Dave said this, so of course it's right. It's like he's giving us references so we can go back as we take notes and double check everything that he's saying, which I think is credibly important. Now, what he does here, and after he does this, I'll let him talk for a minute so I don't interrupt too much. But I think lots of times when we do, you know, summaries or, you know, sort of an overbrief of context and culture of what's happening, uh, it's very heady and it's not very emotional. What Dave's about to do as he kind of transitions this a little bit, starts to transition this into the sermon part and not the introduction, is give a little bit of the emotion that, that we should feel as we interact with what we're reading. Uh, which I think is helpful because lots of times we get very heady and in our head about things and we don't realize like there's emotion attached to what is occurring. There's emotion for Peter as he writes this. Uh, there's emotion for his readers as they were would have heard this letter. And for us, we, we need to realize that, that there's that emotion there as well. And Dave's about to use that, that emotiveness to sort of transition or start to transition us toward the sermon cause a like several different emotions in us this shouldn't be just a clear yeah 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 oh no there's also like oh and there's also like ah, and there's also like oh all of these are wrapped up in that sentence christ is coming back and the liars will come and say he's not they'll come and say with reasonable arguments wait a second it's been two thousand years you still think jesus is coming back yes i do because he said he was and he's not a liar you are. So we're going to get into our passage now. So I hope you're already in 2 Peter, and we're in chapter 3, and so this morning we're going to look at verses 9 through 14, where Peter says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So if we're looking at this big arc of redemption in the life of Peter, what's the trajectory of that redemption? Where is it going? 
right? Peter's life was redeemed by Christ, by faith in Christ. Peter's failures, which were many, were continually being redeemed by Christ and for Christ. That's sanctification. And his future is being redeemed for the body of Christ. And the book of Acts and these two letters testify to that. And now, now we get to the title of today, which if you take notes, is Redeeming the Rock, Redeeming All That Remains. All right, so he's using, now this is the transition into the actual teaching part. Now, typically, whenever we're listening to a sermon, this is the part that we really, really want to pay attention to. Because, as I've said before, I'll say it again in case this is your first sermon review, oftentimes you will have aspects of what we've already seen in most sermons. You'll have some sort of context building. You'll have some sort of sermon building most of the time, not always, but most of the times you will. And then you'll get to the scripture and you read the scripture just like we just did. And then this is usually the pivotal point in the sermon. Are we going to preach on the text or are we going to use the text as sort of a jumping off point? I like to say the, the text of the scripture is either going to be the foundation in which the rest of the sermon is built on, or it's going to be a diving board in which you jump into a pool of whatever you want to talk about. And so that's what we want to look for. When we read the text, that's great. We should definitely read scripture during the sermon. But what, what do we do with that after we read it, right? Are we going to, are we going to walk through it verse by verse or chunks of verses? Uh, are we going to be looking at it that way? Or are we just going to read it and then take one word out of that text? And then we're going to run off with it into whatever we want. Like that's what we're looking for. Um, so pay attention to what we're doing now. Dave, obviously, he's transitioning into the teaching part of the sermon. We've, we've went through the introduction. We went through the context. We've went through reading the scripture. We know why we've read it. So watch what he does now with the scripture, because that's what we're looking for in every sermon. The pivotal point is we've had an introduction. We've read scripture. What do we now do with, sorry, what do we now do with the scripture? Because that is pivotal. Are we going to build the entire sermon on it? Is that going to be our foundation in which we learn everything else? Or is it going to be sort of this jumping off point into whatever we want to talk about? So let's pay attention as Dave uh, handles scripture. Okay. And we look at it like it's the life of Peter. And I go, yes, this is the life of Peter. And we, it's amazing. And it's beautiful. And God did an amazing thing. And what a picture of redemption. And then through Peter, he tells us, I'm redeeming everything. I'm doing the rest of it. Peter is like an amuse-bouche, which was a term I learned from a movie, a kid's animation. It's just, it's just the appetizer because there's a much bigger thing happening. We read about it first in 9 through 10, verses 9 through 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works done in them will be exposed. So the first thing that we notice that God is redeeming, of everything that's left, the first thing is time. The redemption of time. One of God's most interesting creations, time. God's timetable is different from yours. It's different from mine. This is true on a cosmic scale, and it's true on a personal scale. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? The world operates differently than you think it should, and also so does your life. You think I should be here, but, but, but God has kept me here. Why? Why is he holding me back? I want to be here. I want to, I want to do this. Your time scale and his time scale are not the same. 
They just aren't. Your expectations, your machinations, your imagination, it's not what he has planned. And his is so much better. So the first thing is going to redeem his time. But the wicked, the wicked see his delay. They see his delay and they say, oh, yeah, I can get away with anything. I'll just keep on sinning. That's what the wicked think when they see it. Psalm 10, 3 through 4. This is not a new thing. That's what I'm trying to say here is not a new thing. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, and all his thoughts are, there is no God. And then in verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He will never see it. He picks up this theme in 12. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. God does see. So, so the wicked says, nah, he's not looking, he's not watching, I can do anything. He's delayed, and that delay gives room for my unbelief anyway. I don't think All right, so the one thing I want to point out here that we've pointed out before, and I think that you definitely want to look for in sermons. This not only shows that the pastor has uh, done their work, they've prepared for it, but they've also searched the scriptures as well in regards to what they've studied. Uh, what we see happening here, and we've seen it in a couple other sermon reviews, is that uh, pastors will bring in scripture from other parts of scripture in order to demonstrate how this is not something new. Like he said, like it's, it's something, it's a line of thought that we've seen throughout scripture. So in this particular case, Peter obviously is talking about those that have, are, are they don't believe in Jesus' return because he's already delayed. And again, this is why it's important to understand the time between Jesus' ascension and now. We've had four decades and people are going, well, if he was going to come back, he would have come back. And Peter is pointing to the fact that there will be scoffers, there will be unbelievers in Jesus' return. In fact, there will be those that just don't believe God is who he says he is. And he points back to Psalms to demonstrate that as well. Um, and he's also already said that even now there are people that will doubt that same thing. His point, as he, I think he already maybe has stated, is that this isn't a new thing. This is something that always happens. And Peter is simply kind of zooming in on this, this particular belief that, you know, well, God's just not going to come back so I can do whatever I want. And he pulls from Psalms. He could have pulled from a, a lot of different places as well to demonstrate that this is a thought process of the wicked individual, that I can do whatever I want. God's not going to look. God's not going to hold me account. And he's showing that this is a line of thought throughout Scripture. One of the things whenever we see this occur, we I would take note of it, right? If I'm taking notes that, okay, we reference Psalm whatever. To, to just to triple check pastors to make sure that this is being used in a way that's accurate. Now, looking at what Dave's preaching about here, using the Psalms that he did, perfectly acceptable because he is pointing to that particular point of disbelief, of thinking the wicked thinking they can get away, that God's not going to look, that God's not you know present and, and, and watching uh, when he is. And this is something, again, the, the reason I say I think it's important is because it does show that you've put time and effort and energy and study into the sermon. You're not just reading through the text. You're actually, you, you've explored scripture, you've searched scripture um, to, to see God's character uh, in it as well as man's character. And this is what we see here in, in what Dave is doing. 
now he's going to use this as a pivotal point. This also demonstrates that he's done his work here, that he's put the work in on the sermon, that he, he's going to juxtapose what it looks like for the unbeliever to say, well, God's not watching versus what God is actually doing. And I want you to hear that. I think you would have picked it up without me kind of giving you a heads up, but this is something I want you to watch for. It's, it's not only shows his preparation, but it shows that, um, that he, he studied the scripture and what Peter is also doing is showing that there's actually something else happening deeper than what our initial read might be. I think he's real, so I'm just going to keep living that way. But God's delay is not for license. Do you know what I'm saying? God, is, God isn't delaying so that you can do whatever you want. The scripture tells us, verse 9 says, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His delay is about repentance. Not about license. And verse 15, which is not in our passage this morning, just by one verse, it just missed out, so I had to include it. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. The, the purpose of his delay is for salvation. Habakkuk 2, 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God is patient. He does delay. The wicked were right about one thing. God does delay. But why he does it and how we respond to it, they were wrong. Spurgeon said it beautifully. It's a long quote. So he's going to get it into here into a quote, and I want to make a note on that. But I also want you to see what he did with Habakkuk there, right? Same concept as Psalms, drawing from what has already been said in Scripture and demonstrating that it is, is, it's still accurate and true and it's coherent throughout of all of Scripture. So I want you to see that. Now, I've said this before if you've watched the other sermon reviews, but it's very important to note if a pastor quotes someone who that quote is coming from. Right, Because that tells you a lot about their thought process. If they're quoting an individual, it is very likely that they've studied this individual, they've read this individual's works, um, and unless otherwise noted, the assumption is they agree with that individual, unless they're obviously using the quote in some sort of um, an argumentative way or you know, to try to make a point. But by and large, if you're using a quote in a sermon, and we've seen this from other sermons as well, um, you're, you're normally using that in agreement with the individual. So if you haven't if you haven't heard of the name that they're quoting from, it's a good idea to take it down so you can kind of see. Okay, well, what what who who are these people learning from? Who do they see as kind of um, thought leaders, if you want to use that term? Who do they who do they look up to? So this quote from Sir Spurgeon here, I think, is really helpful because it gives us a kind of a a view into Dave's brain, like outside of the scripture of what he's looking at and where he's drawing from. He's also drawing from these other sources of, in this case, pastors that have, have talked about this same subject before and have found that their quotes actually help us understand the scripture better than what he could, he feels like he could explain. So listen to this quote, because uh, I do think just the quote in itself is really good, but it does give us kind of an insight to the pastor's brain, depending on who they quote, how big the quote is, what the quote's about, right? I think we overlook that a lot, but oftentimes that gives us a better insight into the pastor's thinking process, their belief system, than we often give it credit for. So just wanted to note that. You're going to have to pay attention and listen. It's old English, okay? What a patience that was which Jesus exhibited to us in our redemption, to come from heaven to earth, 
to hold his tongue for 30 years. There's not much in a patience which cannot help itself, but you well know that all the while Christ could have conquered all foes, chased away all suffering, and kept off all temptation. But for our sakes, as captain of our salvation, that he might be made perfect through suffering, his patience had its perfected work right into Gethsemane. Do you need that I tell you this? Golgotha, with all its woes, its lama sabachthani, its abysmal griefs. Do I need remind you of the patience of Christ for us when the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all? And patient as a lamb, he opened not his mouth, but stood in omnipotence of patience, all sufficient to endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, but ye have need to enter into the patience of Jesus. He waited and waited and delayed. And this is the one of whom the world says he delays. Yes, he delays. He delays because not every name written in his Lamb's book has yet come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He delays so that through suffering, even the slowest of learners can come to know endurance and character and hope. It was at the right time that Christ died for the ungodly. And so he delays, but his delay is not apathy, it's salvation. So I want you to see here something that, again, this isn't so much um, part of the sermon kind of review as much as it is methodology. And I've said this before in sermon reviews, methodology is kind of hit or miss. Some of it's great, some of it's not great. It doesn't really matter because some methodology uh, isn't, it's going to be by person, right? Um, so I don't even actually know if this would fit in the methodology, but I do want to point it out. You can tell when a pastor has emotionally invested within a sermon, like they care about what they're saying. They care about what the study they've done. They care that their audience knows, uh, you know, the, the outcome of that study. And you can tell here, especially in that quote in which he read from Spurgeon. And then the, this, this last couple of minutes here where he's really exhorted, uh, the congregation to understand patience in regards to the quote that he just read that he he's very invested in it like he, he 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 understands it as much as he can understand it and i think that says a lot especially as pastors it's easy for us to get up and just kind of to to read off a script or be monotone about it um but when a pastor has uh, the sermon has preached itself to the pastor first it is easy for the pastor to preach the sermon to the people because it, it's, it's affected you and now you know it can affect others. Like you, you've, intake, you've, you've, you've taken in um, the meaning of what you've looked at and you desperately want the congregation to know that meaning as well. And you can, it's conveyed in the way that you present it. So again, this is a little bit of methodology. It's not so much more of a sermon review thing, but uh, because that can be used either way, right? Emotion can be used either way. But in this way, I think that the way that we're seeing Dave really exhort his people, he wants them to know um, the joy that he's found in these verses that Peter has written about his delay is for salvation, not for license. So this is really good. Um, anyway, I just wanted to bring that out uh, because I know emotion in a pastor can can be manipulative or it can be helpful. And I think in this sense, it's, it's very helpful because you can see the joy that he has and the joy that he wants the people to know in understanding um, the delay of the Lord. So he delays 
and delays, but not forever. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. We don't like it when our deeds are exposed. We don't like that. Why? We know the standard and we don't meet it and so we hide it. Right? We don't want our deeds exposed. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus. Right? We know John 3.16, but a couple of verses later, and these are his parting shots to Nicodemus. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. doesn't come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's fine. You don't mind being exposed and, 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 and laid bare if what you've been doing is Christ-like. You go, yeah, look, that's Jesus, and he gets the glory for it? Awesome. But if your deeds are evil, well, turn out the lights. I don't want, the, I don't want people knowing. But we can't hide forever. We can't hide those things forever. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We're not giving an account like one of my kids has to give an account when I get back from doing an errand. What happened while I was gone? Uh, this. And they told me, probably the truth. I believe mostly, generally. It's a couple of them. <laughs> and generally, I really believe that they're telling the truth, but I have no way of verifying, right? That's not like the one with whom we have to do. He sees everything. You're trying to explain and give an excuse to one who knows. Oh, that's not what happened. I was there. I know what happened. I was watching. I see your heart. I not only know what happened, I know why. Wow. And there is, again, an ultimate trajectory to this not wanting to be exposed, and it's in Revelation 6, verse 15. Everyone hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? They know. Their deeds are going to be exposed, and they know they fall short. And they're the ones who said, he's delayed. This is the wicked speaking. So how do we deal with this sudden... Okay, as he turns to this kind of the second half here, I want you to see... I mean, I, I know you see it, but I just want to point it out. Do you see how Scripture saturated that last few minutes was? That there is no way you can get away with everything that he's pulled in as far as from other places of Scripture backing up in context, the things that he said about the wicked saying he's delayed, but he's not delayed, and that he's patient... And this patience actually is for our, our salvation. Do you, I mean, because all of this, this light and dark, he, he's pulled all of this in. And really, it, it's, it's given so much more depth to what Peter is saying here in the text that it's actually made us say, wow, okay, that's what Peter's saying. These, these are the things that Peter is alluding to. And we see that 
that line of thought throughout the scripture, no matter what he's pulling through, that these things are accurate. Um, and none of it comes back to us saying, well, Dave said this really smart thing. It's that us, if we're sitting here, and I, I, I mean, you, you would almost have to take notes during this sermon because there's so much information and so much scripture coming at you that you're taking notes so you can reference these things later and take hope in them and take encouragement in them because scripture is speaking to these things throughout the, this overarching story of what God is doing in human history. So I, what I want you to see here is what, hopefully you've watched some of the other sermon reviews. If you have, what you're going to see is oftentimes the pastor tries to prop the sermon up on his own, uh, his own, his own knowledge or his own understanding or his own words. The better way, the best way to do this, however, is to refer to scripture to show that scripture can speak for itself. That if you leave, for example, this sermon today and you never come back to River Park Bible Church, what you will know is that whoever that person was on stage at that church that we went to this one time used a lot of scripture. Right? That's what you want them to know. Not that the, you know, the pastor was super smart or super intelligent or said some really witty things or really encouraged me. What you want them to know is like that was like that was a lot of scripture. Everything was based in, anchored in, grounded in scripture. So not only that I referenced to so go back to the, the analogy I used before, not only are we using the scripture that we're using in Second Peter as the foundation, but as we're building each layer of this building, we're just reinforcing it every floor with scripture over and over again to where this this building is built on scripture. And I hope you see that. Not only does this reinforce and anchor us in scripture and encourage us to read the word, but it shows that Dave, the one giving this message, has done his work to search scripture, to pray over scripture, to, to, to go through and pull these things in for the benefit of the congregation that he's speaking to, because he wants them to be anchored in the word, to fully understand the words that Peter is saying. So that being said, um, we're about at the hour mark. I don't want to go over an hour. We've got about 10 minutes left. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have him finish up his last point here. We'll stop it, kind of wrap up our thoughts. And then I'll encourage you as always to go watch the rest of the sermon. Cause we're only getting to the first, the first little section here. There's so much more in this sermon. So, uh, let's see how he kind of wraps up this last point. Then we'll wrap up this video and then I'll encourage you to go watch the, the full sermon. So let's go exposure and wrath and destruction. How does someone deal with that? That's what Peter deals with next in verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be, you to be, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the first thing he's doing is redeeming time, and then now he's redeeming creation. Okay, so I do want to stop there. I thought he had a little bit left in redeeming time. So I don't want to get too far into the second point because there's a lot in here that uh, he goes into, and I want you to get that in the full, the full context of how he says it, not me breaking it up. So let's end the sermon review here. What I want you to see is a couple things. One, the sermon building coming up to the point in which we get to the text is really good. 
I think us as congregants, even if you just walk in off the street and you know nothing about Jesus, you understand at least the time frame that we're talking in the New Testament. You understand the the bits and pieces of you know the references to Scripture, and you have an idea at the at best when we arrive at Second Peter, you understand why whoever this person Peter is. He is writing this letter to this church, right? So even if you're coming off the street and you know nothing about Jesus, you at least have a general grasp of what's happening. If you are a Christian and you're visiting this church, you have a great backdrop of what's occurring so that, um, especially if you have you know, been in this section of Scripture recently and you're reading, like you're caught back up. Then we get to Scripture. And Dave does this great job as he reads the, the chunk of Scripture, then he builds off of it as he's walking through it. We only walk through the first little point that he made there. He's got a couple more. Again, you can watch the full sermon. Um, but in doing so, he's building this sermon up to a point to help us understand why Peter is writing this, what he's trying to address, and then he walks us through the chunk of scripture addressing each thing that Peter talks about in this scripture. Walking us through chunk by church, ex- chunk by chunk, expositionally, uh, showing us not only how Peter is addressing it, but how it affects us directly now as modern day believers. So if you're looking for a great sermon to kind of see you know, how a sermon should be built, again, this isn't a step one, two, three, four, five, but this is a great example of how a pastor can build a sermon that sticks close to scripture and is built on scripture, drawing from other places, and everything is scripture saturated, right? This is what we're going for. When, when, you're, when you're attending a church, the, the one thing you're looking for is Jesus glorified, is, is the redemptive work that he does in his people, is that shown and taught through. This is what we're doing here. We're seeing what it looks like to be encouraged by the scripture, to hold on to Jesus, to be encouraged by the word. This is what we're seeing here. This is an excellent example of that. So what I would encourage you to do is to click on the link below. In fact, not encourage you, like you need to take the time, make the time to click on the link below, watch his full sermon all the way through, and then come back and tell me what you thought about it. Tell me in the comments section, uh, you know, what do you think you think the points that he did really well are? What were you encouraged by in this sermon? How did this help you maybe as a pastor get better at what you're doing? Because um, again, this is one of the things that I want to use these sermon review videos for. Not just to say, hey, these are bad, you know, these are bad sermons, you know, we need to you know, ignore these people because, you know, the sermons that we address, uh, that we say, you know, oh, these are bad sermons, oftentimes those get the most views. Uh, what, I, what I hope for is videos like this would get a lot of views because what we're seeing here are pastors that are being diligent to scripture, faithful to Christ, and preaching the word of God. So, guys, hopefully you found this helpful. If you did, make sure you give it a like, a share. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on it after you watch the rest of Dave's sermon uh, because I think this was done very, very well. Guys, thank you for watching, subscribing, following. I'll talk to you later.